Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Got plans for the weekend? If not, you may want to swing by the New Britain Museum of American Art to see a spectacular exhibition that celebrates the work and legacy of one of the most preeminent painters of the 20th century. It's called The Beyond, Georgia O'Keeffe and Contemporary Art. It features 37 iconic works by O'Keeffe alongside 20 emerging artists. We'll hear from one of the contemporary artists coming up. Now, another reason to rethink your weekend plans is The Beyond closes this Sunday, June 2nd. It's the final and only Northeast venue for the exhibition, which was organized by the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Arkansas. I recently toured the exhibit at the New Britain Museum of American Art. It's divided into themes that reflect O'Keeffe's preoccupations. My guide was museum director and CEO Min Jung Kim. There in Bentonville, Arkansas, the exhibition first premiered and then traveled to the North Carolina Museum of Art. And here at the New Britain Museum of American Art, we are thrilled to have this exhibition as the final venue, but also the only Northeast venue, which means as much as I've heard Connecticut being so close to New York and Boston, this is one of those instances where if you live in New York or Boston, you actually have to come to Connecticut to see this very, very rare holding and presentation of O'Keeffe and contemporary artist work. Tell us more about Georgia O'Keeffe. Uh, she's been called the mother of American modernism. Yeah. Tell us where she uh, grew up and uh, why her work is seen as so iconic. Georgia O'Keeffe was born in 1887 in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, and in her youth she studied at the Art Institute of Chicago and the Art Students League in New York, and under the direction of William Merritt Chase, she learned and also mastered the technique of traditional realist painting. However, very early on, as early as 1915, she began a series of highly abstract charcoal drawings which was really breaking from tradition and made her one of the first artists to practice pure abstraction. Um, and so with the 1915 abstract charcoal drawings that George O'Keefe did, she shared them and mailed them to a very good friend by the name of Anita Pulitzer with the very specific instructions not to share them with anyone. And as a good friend, she did indeed share them. She shared them with uh, Alfred Stieglitz at 291 Gallery in New York. And um, as soon as he saw these drawings, he thought them to be the finest, sincerest, purest thing that had ever entered a 291 gallery um, and immediately began to exhibit them. And as part of Stieglitz's circle, Georgia O'Keeffe also began uh, to associate herself with some major modernists, uh, painters including John Marin, Arthur Dove, Marston Hartley, as well as photographers such as Paul Strand and Edward Steichen. And 
Very quickly, from the 20s throughout the 1940s, Georgia O'Keeffe really quickly established herself as not only one of the most successful, but also one of the most important artists of her time. So much so that in the 1940s, uh, she already had two major retrospectives, the first of which was at the Art Institute of Chicago. And I believe it was in 1946, she became the first woman to have a retrospective at the Museum of Modern Art. You mentioned Stieglitz. Uh, she would go on to marry him. He's also a very well-known photographer for his work. Absolutely. Um, Alfred Stieglitz uh, was an acclaimed photographer, but he also, as, as we've just discussed, had a 291 gallery, and he was showing very progressive avant-garde work, uh, artists including Picasso and Rodin, and he found such talent in Georgia O'Keeffe that he convinced her to move from Texas, where she was teaching at the time, to come to New York and take on full-time being an artist, which she did from 1918. And eventually, um, this relationship developed to a point where uh, they did get married and shared a lifetime together, not necessarily always physically present in the same state, because, of course, George O'Keefe, for a number of years, began to uh, live three months out of the year in New Mexico. Um, So from 1928 till about 1946, she was going to New Mexico every year while Stieglitz stayed in New York, and eventually she moved there permanently in 1946 upon his death. The O'Keefe works visitors will see first are some of her most well-known flower paintings. Museum director Min Jung Kim describes them for us, including a painting that sold for a whopping $44.4 million in 2014. It's the highest price paid at an auction for a painting by a woman artist. The painting that we're looking at, which is called Jimson Weed, painted in 1932. And it is an incredible work um, that perhaps has has just about as an illustrious history as Georgia O'Keeffe, the artist herself. Uh, At one point in time, it hung in the White House during President George W. Bush's term in office. And in 2014, the work was acquired by Alice Walton and currently belongs to the collection of the Crystal Bridges Museum of Art. Um, Jimson weed is a flower um, that Uh, Georgia O'Keeffe became much more familiar with in recognizing the abundance of jimson weeds in her backyard in Abiquiu, New Mexico. It is a poisonous flower, but it's also an extremely delicate flower in that it really does not fare well under the hot southwestern sun, but really flourishes and blooms during the cool evening hours. And much like uh, many of Georgia O'Keeffe's work, and in particular flower paintings, uh, the work, the flower, is really prominently shown um, with a very bold, close-up, cropped imagery, um, many times devoid of any background or context, although in the case of Jimson Weed, you see it really framed by these very prominent leaves. And while many of her flower paintings are recognizable from a distance, as you come closer, you not only come to appreciate her uh, masterful technique, but how often she is really straddling this line between realism and abstraction as well. Uh, What were some of the reasons uh, why Georgia O'Keeffe painted these uh, flowers the way she did, the close-ups? Well... 
George O'Keefe is often quoted as having um, said that if flowers, for instance, were depicted in its actual scale, no one would really notice them. So through this power of magnification, she really wanted to bring attention to the beauty that existed in everyday objects, such as, of course, flowers. So we moved from this vivid purple painting uh, to a couple of paintings, very bright yellows. Yes, so this is uh, Yellow Jonquils number three from 1936. Um, and it's uh, a depiction of really a beautiful bouquet of these extraordinary bright yellow jonquils. And very much like we've seen in the petunias and many of the other flower paintings, uh, with uh, a pure white background, your eye and your focus really uh, rests on the flowers themselves. Many of her flower paintings that were done uh, beginning in the 1920s was emerging during the Roaring Twenties, if you will, which you were beginning to see a proliferation of skyscrapers, which were emblems of modernity and modern America, and these vertical, um, you know, sky-reaching structures uh, was something that she was very aware of, and yet, somewhat to the contrary, her flower paintings became um, her organic response to that. Alongside O'Keeffe's flower paintings are some works by contemporary artists like Bordel Milan. We walk towards a wall where a series of his art hangs. School groups parade past us as Kim describes the paintings to us. So here we're seeing three paintings. We're standing in one in particular, but all three are by contemporary artist Wardell Milan. Uh, and what we see in front of this particular painting is indeed a tulip. So very much like O'Keeffe, this artist focuses on the singularity of a flower, once again devoid of any background or context, um, really set up against a, a solid uh, color background. But with this tulip and flower, you see very, very um, uh, colorful and heavily textured paint throughout, which is in many ways a reference to, as much as it is the beauty of the flower, the inevitable decay um, and the ephemerality of this flower. The tulip in particular also happens to reference the 17th century Dutch phenomenon of tulipomania, which at one point in time, tulips were so revered um, that the cost of a singular bulb could be even more expensive than a house. And according to many uh, who speculate that this may have indeed uh, been the first example of the global economic bubble. So like Georgia O'Keeffe, who was very much aware of her times and her environments, uh, Wardell Milan and other such contemporary artists are drawing upon themes and subjects of their particular time and context. Uh, so before we move on to the next section, Min, um, many people are familiar when they hear about Georgia O'Keeffe's uh, many works, uh, often uh, these up-close paintings of flowers, uh, many believe, uh, were her representation of the female body. This was something that male art critics um, often uh, pointed to. How did Georgia O'Keeffe feel about that interpretation? Is it accurate? Well, Georgia O'Keeffe herself um, vehemently denied this, and many of the um, 
uh, sort of inspirations um, that I had mentioned before as to why she particularly focused on flowers and the ways in which, as she did them, really had nothing to do with uh, what in interpretations many of these critics had been associating um, between her flowers and the female body. Um, that being said, I have to say it is somewhat interesting to note that if we look back in time, particularly um, in the 19th century, flowers really had a very different association and symbolic meaning. Um, for instance, in the past it may have related more to uh, notions of purity, femininity, even perhaps virginity. Um, and there are many paintings that depict an enclosed garden that have very different references to women um, that are not necessarily associated with uh, the concepts that we're more familiar with. Having said that, in the 20th century in particular, with the popularity of uh, Freudian analyses, that may have contributed to how flowers and their meanings uh, had evolved over time to become much more sexualized. And that taking place in roughly around the same time that George O'Keefe was presenting these flower paintings may have indeed lent some observations and interpretations to um, it being associated with the female body. But as far as Georgia O'Keeffe was concerned, that was something that uh, she did not associate with at all. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're taking you on a tour of the beyond, closing at the New Britain Museum of American Art this Sunday. Our guide is museum director and CEO, Min Jung Kim. We'll continue to learn about Georgia O'Keeffe after a short break. Are you a fan of her work? Join our conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live, from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're taking you on a tour of The Beyond, Georgia O'Keeffe and Contemporary Art. The exhibition closes this weekend at the New Britain Museum of American Art. Our guide today is Min Jung Kim, director and CEO of the museum. The exhibit is divided into six sections. We move from flowers to cities and deserts. Directly across from us hangs O'Keeffe's radiator building. Its colors are in stark contrast to the vibrant flower paintings visitors first see at the start of the Beyond. It was painted in 1927, uh, and keeping in mind in, the in um, 1927 was very much a part of 
the machine age, where uh, the construction of skyscrapers was um, very much um, prevalent throughout ma major urban cities, such as, of course, New York. We see here radiator, uh, the radiator building depicted, and it's shown painted from a rather low vantage point, so that it really heightens this sense of verticality. And the radiator building, while um, it shows some level of detail, it is really focusing on the verticality of the building, some of the, the lights from the windows of the radiator building, and really these striking um, beams of light shooting diagonally across the, the, the night sky, uh, and a little billow of smoke, as well as a sprinkling of uh, light from other windows in the surrounding buildings. But perhaps most interestingly, you see on um, the left side, uh, blazoned in red neon lights, uh, the name Alfred Stieglitz, thereby uh, presenting a symbolic portrait, if you will, of Alfred Stieglitz during really the height of his own artistic as well as professional career. Directly behind us is a whole wall full of canvases. It actually took my breath away the first time I came through here. Uh, describe this for us and, and who uh, painted them. So this is a work by contemporary artist Cynthia Daniel, and we do indeed see a whole wall full of painting comprising 360 individual paintings. Uh, that are somewhat small in scale individually, but collectively really make up a, a very significant enlarged installation. It is installed in a grid, and so this piece actually as a whole, to give you a little bit of a background, um, to take a few steps back, um, Cynthia Daniel in thinking about and referencing what are some of the great American road trips uh, that have been taken began to discover that a number of the references of uh, road trips in literature have really been represented by great uh, writers, but specifically great men writers. Jack Kerouac, Mark Twain are just a few that come to mind. And in noticing the absence of the female voice, she decided to take it upon herself to take a road trip. And so beginning with the upper left-hand corner, which starts essentially at her Brooklyn stoop, and um, shifting downward and then upward, snaking from left to right, uh, this is a depiction of a road trip that she took, really guided by two major principles. One of which was to avoid major state highways, deliberately choosing the scenic route. And the second being that she would stop every 25 miles and essentially paint uh, a, a landscape of what she was seeing. And the culmination of this as a whole in producing 360 paintings effectively become a 300-degree portrait of America. That's beautiful. <laughs> I, I, I've had so many visitors point to very specific paintings and say, oh, I've been there. I recognize that place. And there's something really wonderfully participatory in that act of being able to also be present at a particular time, where nowadays everything is remembered and recorded by our phones, right? I don't know how many thousands of images of places that I've been to 
that are on my phone that I rarely, if ever, see again or print, and yet this becomes a physical, tangible um, memento of sorts of a particular place in time, which is quite wonderful. Visitors travel from O'Keeffe's cityscapes to a room of desert landscapes. Well, we're seeing here about seven uh, paintings that Georgia O'Keeffe did in New Mexico and prominently features the landscape of New Mexico. And I have to say, the one thing that really struck me in seeing the grouping of these work is that unlike her flower paintings, where she is taking a small flower and really enlarging its scale, um, here she's doing in some ways the exact opposite, where she's taking the vast landscapes and the mountainscapes and she's creating much smaller size paintings. Um, but I think in a sense that may um, relate to perhaps a certain sense of intimacy and spirituality that she felt. She felt so close to um, many of the mountains and desertscapes that she was painting. I mean, this work in particular that we see in front of us, she entitled My Backyard. And for a number of these mountains, and the Pertinel, for instance, uh, she is known to have said that she would sometimes have conversations with God and saying, if I only painted it enough times, perhaps he would give it to me. So I think it it really um, embodies that, that closeness that she felt to the area. And behind us again, we see work by contemporaries. Uh, tell us about the series of three. Well, the one in the middle is by Carolyn Larson, and in many ways, um, directly opposite the wall of the series of desert paintings by Georgia O'Keeffe. They um, are in direct contrast in that uh, while Georgia O'Keeffe's desert paintings um, really embody a more quiet, contemplative, almost spiritual sense to her work, Carolyn Larson's work um, really is showing the lavish displays of wealth uh, in the Southwest um, from these incredible houses and swimming pools showing bright, vivid color and a decadence, if you will, not only in terms of the subject matter, but one that I would also really highly encourage that we go up close to see based on how she painted this. So these, um, this painting, um, there's a series of three by Carolyn Larson. This is one in particular that we're looking at called Adult Swim from 2017. And it's depicting um, a scene of a house um, with a swimming pool in front. Uh, There are some beach chairs and parasols and palm trees, um, all of which one could really picture as, you know, a typical oil painting. But what's very unique about this work, if you were to see it in person, is really the tactility and the the sort of physical manifestation of the three-dimensionality of this very two-dimensional work. Part of her technique um, that she has used is she has used those um, pastry bags, uh, piping bags that you use to decorate cakes, and she would um, 
put the oil paint in and squeezed into through these piping bags and literally dot and apply the paint uh, as you will so that it creates this incredible mosaic of color and form and it's really an incredibly vibrant work. From her desert landscapes, we move into a part of the exhibition that features still life paintings by O'Keeffe, works that showed how she incorporated abstraction and realism. They were skulls, they were bones, they were rocks, as well as feathers. And as she collected them, she would paint uh, a number of them, uh, either in um, isolation, uh, as we see with a number of these works showing uh, feathers as well as skulls, but increasingly over time also placing them in somewhat um, surprising um, places and positions as we see with this painting, which is essentially a, a backbone that is elevated and virtually appearing to be floating in the sky set against the backdrop of the mountains that are in these incredibly beautiful blue tones. And there too, there have been some who have uh, speculated and associated her work with certain surrealistic aspects. Um, but George O'Keefe there too really um, did not agree with being labeled and associated necessarily with surrealist artists, but she did have this incredible appreciation um, for objects. Um, as we've seen with the flowers, but as we see with skulls, they embodied uh, a, a similarly important sense of beauty to her, and Bones and skulls, while some may have uh, interpreted that as being um, a subject matter that is somewhat macabre or morbid, uh, for Georgia O'Keeffe, they were really uh, objects of beauty and um, also considered to be uh, emblems of America. And as a subject and topic to be celebrated, something that she very much emphasized, as you will see in a number of these work. Um, as we move from still life, uh, we see uh, several paintings, but the wall that really captures your attention first is, again, a series of three, and looks like trees. These were also done by Georgia O'Keeffe. Yes, um, a number of these work, um, and in particular the painting in the middle, Georgia O'Keeffe uh, painted while she was at Lake George in New York. Um, and at Lake George, Alfred Stieglitz and Georgia O'Keeffe uh, would often go. Alfred Stieglitz had a family estate uh, nestled on the grounds of about 36 acres. And as you can see, the palette uh, of these paintings are far more northeastern than what we have seen um, having just come from the section representing uh, New Mexico. Um, George O'Keefe would often go and um, she would uh, go to the uh, highest point of a hill and really try and, and uh, paint these beautiful landscapes but also focus particularly on trees um, and she's actually having quoted um, to having said that she wished people were more like trees um, that she loved the trees so much. The last three sections of the exhibit feature several more contemporary artists and explore O'Keeffe's transition to other media like sculpture.
There's a really wonderful quote that begins this section of the intangible thing, um, which uh, George O'Keefe has said that the abstraction is often the most definite form for the intangible thing in myself that I can only clarify and paint. And in many ways, um, this concept of abstraction is something that we really began to see very early on in George O'Keeffe's um, artistic practice. So the number of contemporary artists that are included in this particular section are also in many ways um, touching upon either subjects or themes or even um, imagery that is indeed rooted in some sense of recognizable forms but really is playing with this notion of abstraction, also with um, this uh, experimentation of different medium as well, where you begin to see the blurring of the lines between perhaps painting and sculpture and installation and photography. From her flowers to her landscapes, people were left out of O'Keeffe's paintings. But Kim says in the exhibit section called Finding the Figure, visitors get a rare glimpse of O'Keeffe's exploration of the human form. We do have in this exhibition at least one example of uh, a figure in black that George O'Keeffe did in 1918 and available to view on this iPad another um, series of examples during her early career that George O'Keeffe also did of the figure. Many of these works could not travel given the fragility of uh, their condition and the fact that many of them are works on paper but it, it is wonderful to see that the figure was indeed present, albeit in the early stage. That being said, the figure is somewhat conspicuously absent in many of George O'Keeffe's work, but at the same time, as per some of the uh, critical interpretations that you had mentioned earlier, Lucy, there are those who have often thought that the figure is, although um, directly and physically absent, always present in George O'Keeffe's work in terms of how it's been associated with the body and the figure. Um, and so this exhibition, not only um, in highlighting some of the actual representations of figures that George O'Keeffe had done in her earlier work, bring together a number of other contemporary artists who are also finding different ways and medium to represent the figure both as a direct representation and also uh, evoking them in very highly abstract forms. Uh, the artists uh, behind us uh figures are present, but also they're calling for some of the societal issues that we're dealing with. Can you talk about that? Yes, so um, Jennifer Parker is an artist that was also included in the flower section, and um, much like the work that we saw there, here too there is a representation of um, in particular African Americans and how they are identified in our society today and some of the challenges that are associated with it. The final room is reflected in the exhibit's title, The Beyond. Here the paintings were done by O'Keeffe later in her life and were inspired by her travels. She was very deeply and firmly rooted uh, here in America. That being said, later on in life, 
she really began to travel more frequently abroad and she would indeed go to Asia, to Europe, to the Middle East, uh, which of course meant that she was traveling often by plane. Um, what we see in front of us is um, uh, the painting The Beyond, which was uh, created in 1972, and it's very significant in that it is the last unassisted painting that she did. Um, her vision began to fail her. She was increasingly relying only on her peripheral vision. So any paintings thereon after uh, really required the assistance of another. So as a purely Georgia O'Keeffe work, uh, the Beyond represents her last painting. And as we see the work, which is really a striation of several horizontal bands of color from blues to white to black, um, it, it is very much like the scene that you might see looking out the window of an airplane, which she was doing much more frequently as she was traveling abroad. And given the fact that the, the work is titled The Beyond, and in noting what particular point in her life and in her artistic career this was created, one can't help but wonder what was she seeing beyond um, the horizon, beyond what remained um, as her visual perception was dramatically declining, um, and what really remained beyond her lifetime as she was approaching increasingly older age. Uh, she was probably in her in her mid to late 80s when she was painting this, uh, which is really quite incredible to see how um, continuously active she was throughout her lifetime. But as she, um, she looks out into the horizon, one must also wonder what was she thinking that remained beyond not only her lifetime, but her legacy. And so the fact that this work is entitled The Beyond and shares the same title as the exhibition, which is The Beyond, Georgia O'Keeffe in Contemporary Art. We're delighted that in many ways um, this exhibition might in fact um, lend um, to answering some of that in that um, her legacy clearly has remained um, as impactful and influential to the living and contemporary artists today as we see them represented in this exhibition. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. That was museum director Min Jung Kim giving us a tour of the beyond, Georgia O'Keeffe and contemporary art. You still have a chance to see the exhibit before it closes June 2nd. Go to wmpr.org slash where we live to learn more. Now, coming up, we'll talk to one of the contemporary artists featured in The Beyond, Wardell Milan. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up tomorrow, June marks the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, credited for giving rise to the gay rights movement. But in Connecticut, the fight for equality started before then. On the next Where We Live, we take a look at early groups like the Kalos Society, the state's first gay organization. You can join the conversation, too. That's tomorrow. Now, earlier, we took you along with us as we walked through the beyond Georgia O'Keeffe and contemporary art at the New Britain Museum of American Art. There's still time to see the special exhibit. It closes this Sunday, June 2nd. Now, have you seen it? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Wardell Milan is one of the contemporary artists whose work is included in The Beyond. He's a visual artist based in New York City, and he joins us now by phone. Wardell, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. So tell us about how your artwork came to be part of the exhibit. Uh, who first approached you? Um, yeah, I, I was first approached by the curators um, at Crystal Bridges, uh, Lauren Hayes. She uh, reached out to me while they were developing the show and, and you know, told me the thesis behind the show and invited me to, to include the work uh, within that exhibition. Um, and, you know, she explained that it would, it would travel uh, across the, the states and, and that idea of, of not only my work accompanying the work of uh, Georgia O'Keeffe, but to have, uh, to have the work seen with hers and, and for it to travel uh, to several other cultural institutions uh, was very exciting for me. And we should mention Crystal Bridges is a museum in, in Arkansas? That's right. That's right. So your flower paintings are among the first contemporary works that visitors see when they go to the beyond, uh, right near some iconic uh, flower paintings by Georgia O'Keeffe. Mm-hmm. Uh, describe them for our listeners and uh, what that was like to, to, to see uh, your work next to O'Keeffe's. Um. Well, the, my, my work, the, the, the tulips that I've painted, they're these very vibrant paintings of uh, tulips. Um, they're almost like portraits of, of flowers. Um, and I was uh, inspired to, to create the, the work initially, the spotty work of these tulips, after reading Tulip Mania and, and learning of, about this history and learning about what many people uh, describe as the first economic bubble um, to burst. Uh, but to have the work a company and, and sitting next to the work of Jojo O'Keefe is uh, quite special. You know, not only to to be in conversation with a uh, a canonized artist uh, and and to be in conversation with her with her practice, um, but to also be able to to place myself uh, in a trajectory uh, in that dialogue, so that you know we are seeing Jojo O'Keefe's works in in the contemporary and, and thinking about her work in 2019. But to, but to be a part of that of that conversation, to be able to to help the viewer um, to, uh, to help the viewer know more about her work, but to also to put to help the viewer to put her the viewer to put her work in a in a uh, in a conversation that is of today uh, is very exciting. You mentioned uh, tulip mania. So this was a time, uh, a Dutch financial craze back in the 17th century, uh, where tulip bulbs were selling uh, five times the cost of an average home. That bubble burst. And you did that work first around the time of the recession? (laughs) Yes, I did. Uh, You know, I was was researching this history and began making these paintings. And at the time, I will admit they were very bad paintings. Uh, But making these paintings and uh, during that process, of, of creating the work uh, and and then living through our own economic you know, decline, it became like this weird kind of relationship of of creating 
this new work and being excited about this particular history that I'm learning about and then mirroring that in some other way in, in my own personal life and experiencing uh, you know the effects of of economic financial decline. Uh, so it was really um, a curious kind of experience at the time to to you know to do this research, but then also to make work about a particular type of of event, a particular type of cultural and economic uh, occurrence that that the, the research is 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 uh, dealing with. I understand, uh, Wardell, that you draw often um, from uh, books that you've read or history that you want to uh, then incorporate uh, in some way in your uh, in your work. Uh, so you had read Tulipomania, and that inspired right. you to do the series of three. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and the tulip now uh, the, the flower. Uh, I, I still draw and, and, and paint the tulip. Um, uh, and the, the inspiration behind the work has has moved a little bit beyond uh, the the initial kind of attraction to the tulip and to that history. Uh, but even today, like with, with the paintings that I'm making of the tulips today, there's still aspects of of that initial interest, uh, that initial history. Uh, but they have matured and and have developed conceptually uh, beyond just wanting to speak about the ideas of tulip mania and the ideas of speculation and obsession and um, and economic profits. On the phone with me is Wardell Milan, a visual artist based in New York City. Uh, he's among other emerging artists that were included in The Beyond, which is an exhibit at the New Britain Museum of American Art. Another uh, piece of yours that's featured is called Below the Calm Sky, an Orchestra of Trees and Flowers. Tell us about mm-hmm. that work. Um, yeah, it's really kind of thinking about the ideas of womanhood, the ideas of femininity. Uh, there's, uh, you know, figures lounging within this kind of uh, idealized landscape, this uh, landscape full of flowers and botanicals, and challenging the ideas behind uh, what femininity and what gender looks like, how it's defined. So some of the figures in, in the drawings are, um, you know, are, 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 as I say, gender fluid. So they possess both male and female uh, genitalia. Um, and some of the, of the figures are these voluptuous kind of uh, females. Uh, so really wanting to stretch the idea, uh, at least for myself and, and, and my practice, uh, stretch, stretch the ideas of what the, the womanhood and what femininity looks like. Um, because I think that there's, there's so many different kind of uh, visualizations and representations between uh, the, 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 the two poles, between the poles of both men and female, but also between um, the idealized kind of imagery that we see in, in popular culture and images that are, that are celebrated as to what a, a woman and what femininity should, should be. That's interesting. Well, we just heard from the museum director, Min Jung Kim, uh, talking about how uh, Georgia O'Keeffe herself pushed back against uh, uh, how people viewed her up-close uh, paintings of flowers uh, not being representative of the feminine or the female body. Um, so it's interesting mm-hmm. to hear uh, that your work uh, also uh, pushes back on the idea of femininity. Yeah, I think that when you look at some of O'Keeffe's paintings, like you are, you're kind of immediately seduced with the color and the texture and the abstract abstract nature of, of, of some of the shapes and forms that she creates. And I think that that's part of the attraction, right? She is kind of like seducing you into the painting and seducing you into her practice. And then once you are, once she has you, then you are kind of 
challenge. The viewer is challenged to, to think about, well, what exactly is she representing? Is, is this, you know, is this a orcus? Is this a female form? Is this uh, an abstract, uh, an abstract expression of like a, a gesture or, or of, of a leg or arm? Um, so I think that, that she was very clever with how she, uh, how she would draw in her viewer um, by a certain level of, of immediate kind of beauty. But then once you're there, you know, really kind of questioning or asking the viewer to question what it is they're thinking about and how that, reply, how that applies to, to their own personal self. Mm. Um, has uh, anything that O'Keefe done inspired you in your work, Mordell? Um, I think that, that her, her personal life is 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 quite an inspiration. I you know for for her to be um, a woman of of a certain time to be to be an artist uh, to be married to a very famous you know photographer Alfred Stieglitz, and to have such a commanding voice and to be so confident with this is you know how I want to express my ideas. Um, I think that for me that is that is most encouraging. Even you know as we think about how she matures and and becomes a, a, a lady of a certain age uh, and losing her sight, but still having uh, that inspiration to be creative. Uh, and at 77, you know, 80, still making paintings uh, and moving out to New Mexico and still being inspired and still wanting to have a voice within the creative world and, um, and, and really be expressive. Um, despite, you know, the, the, the failing of, of the, her physical body. I think that for me that is what's most inspiring, and I hope to uh, to have a little bit of that as I as I enter my my mid forties uh, and, and beyond to have that that level of uh, resilience and, and perseverance to to be creative and to to continue to make work. Wardell, I understand that you have a background in photography. Tell us about your uh, creative process and some of the work that I understand you have um, uh, showing in New York right now. Uh, yeah, I currently have a solo show at uh, the New York Gallery, David Nolan Gallery. Um, it's a show that is very representative of, of my complete practice, um, showing both works on paper, drawing, collage, uh, as well as uh, traditional kind of black and white documentary style photography, um, and and as well as as painting, painting on 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 um, excuse me, oil painting on board. So I'm, I'm an artist who definitely enjoys working in a number of different mediums, uh, and oftentimes allowing the the idea, the concept, the themes, uh, what it is I'm trying to express, to kind of dictate which medium is best to to uh, to use or develop uh, that that idea. Um, so yeah, so it's a it's a joy, and, and it's, it's also been very exciting to have. This the show up and and for it to kind of highlight all the different uh, interests, creative interests and, me- and interest of mediums that I am um, that I am oftentimes oscillating around uh, represented in this show. I loved uh, reading uh, your bio uh, where you're a Tennessee native, but it was your parents who gave you a separate studio space to foster your creativity, Wardell. Yes, I blame my parents <laughs> for for me being an artist. Um, they really gave me no choice. <laughs> in terms of uh, this would be my profession. Um, at a very young age, they they gave me one of the one of the bedrooms to our home uh, to uh, to be my studio essentially, uh, and really fostered my interest in art and fostered my my interest in being creative. Uh, 
putting me in, in, into uh, art classes that I would attend after school, uh, and then encouraging me to major in art in both undergrad and grad school. So uh, they uh, they definitely planted the seed and, and nourished and watered it um, consistently. So I have them to thank for um, for for my career and and, and and being an artist and and being determined with this profession. Well, it's a pleasure to speak with you, Wardell Milan, a visual artist based in New York City, uh, one of the contemporary artists featured in the Beyond, the special exhibit at the New Museum of American Art, closes this Sunday. You still have time to check it out, as well as Wardell Milan's work. Wardell, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, today's show produced by senior producer Lydia Brown. Special thanks to our technical producer, Kion Wolf. You can learn more about the show, wmpr.org slash where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.